Welcome back to Rolling Fat. Uh, this is the week seven edition. Um, obviously, midweek stuff is going in and out based off plans. <laughs> it is what it is. All right, so Rolling Fat this week. So start off with go with trade alert. Uh, me and Mike did make a minor trade. Shipped off Russell Wilson, who has been surprisingly good in fantasy and a terrible leader as an actual football team. And Josh Palmer, the emerging number two wideout for the Chargers. In return, I got Dak Prescott, who has not been very good in fantasy this year, and Zay Flowers, who's taken some of the receiving load off of Andrews in Baltimore uh, to pair with Andrews on my roster. On my end, I'm kind of hoping Dak has a turnaround midseason if the offense can be a little stronger in the red zone and the potential to use his legs more often. I'll also be hoping for similar things in Baltimore as Lamar gets more comfortable in a heavier passing offense. If both of them can get on the potential trajectory, it could be an upgrade over the two reliable guys I shipped out. Um, obviously, Josh Palmer was, you know, upcoming on that team as well with the injury there to Mike Williams. And Russell Wilson, I just fucking hate him, so I wanted to get rid of him. Uh, that trade was brought to you by RBs. No, not running backs, you dorks. Random boners. Feels good to be sitting there thinking about absolutely nothing. Look down and boom. Whoa, <laughs> where did that come from? Was it sexual? No. Was inspired by anything you heard, saw, felt? Absolutely not. But guess what? Now that I got it, looks like I gotta do something with it. Danielle! As Tom and Jay always say, enjoy it while you got it. Now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. To recap the games last week that we talked about, uh, Miami versus Carolina, I kind of nailed this one. I called for Mostert at 150. He had 132, three touchdowns, nailed that. And a few catches, three, boom, got it. After that, I called for big games for Tyreek and Tua as well as Waddle. Um, All were spot on, but to be fair, that might have been one of the easiest games to predict all year. My only miss was Durham Smythe potentially getting a touchdown, but to be fair, he did have one and he dropped it horrendously. Very upsetting. On the other side of the ball, Carolina was who we thought they were, stinking the place up. Chuba got the letter running back and was fairly productive with it, putting Miles Sanders' fantasy owners on notice. The one big miss here I had was Steele would be productive, but not a definite starter. Clearly wrong, because he hauled in more than half the yards, about half the receptions, and he was the only receiving touchdown on the day, ending at 23 fantasy points. Outside of week one, where he scored a measly two points, he's averaged 20 points per game, which puts him as the third best wide receiver. Now, with that limp dick first week, he still sits as number seven wide receiver on the year. You know, not bad for an old fuck. Now, for a game I did not nail, the Bengals versus Seahawks. Um, I think I had the game plan right, and the Bengals just kind of fucked it up. Can't blame me for Zach Taylor not listening to the podcast. To be fair, though, the Seahawks were keying on Mixon early and the run game early, causing the Bengals to rely on the passing game. But even that was not overly productive or efficient. Jamar Chase was once again the leader in targets at 13, but he only caught six of them for 80 and was the biggest offensive contributor outside of Tyler Boyd, who had a whopping seven catches for a very confusing 38 yards, 5.4 yards per catch. Yeah, well, yeah, that happened. Um, Really, (laughs) real rare to see a stat line like that in today's NFL. For Seattle, Geno did throw the ball quite a lot for almost double the yards as Burrow, but due to two picks and no touchdowns, only ended with about 11 fantasy points. The good news there is all the interceptions get credited to the quarterback while the receivers get to soak in all the yards. So Lockett and DK were still solid players, ending with 12 and 9 points respectively. 
Tight ends were very involved, accounting for one-fifth of the targets, but not efficient, only accounting for about one-tenth of the yards. Hey, look at that. I did something right over there. Walker was the piece I had for the Seahawks, and he came out violently, showing why he is the horse they are running with there. Only averaged 3.3 yards per carry, 4 yards per touch, but much of that has to do with the style of the offense in Seattle, where they force-feed runs, even into heavy defensive fronts. Old school football, keeping the defense honest that their pre-snap appearances match their style of play when they're running. So that was, um, you know, they're going to constantly be giving him the ball in tough positions. Even if he gets no yards in their eyes, it loosens defense up a little bit, keeps them playing the way they look. Um, now for the fantasy of the games of the week, E versus Dave. So Dave kept his hot streak going at 6-0 and and E dropped to ninth place at a 2-4 and record. With an extremely close expected outcome, one player really won this for Dave, and that was Mostert. Uh, he has been absurd this year, as mentioned earlier, torched the Panthers. Players like that win you fantasy championships because you're spending minimal draft capital and still getting highly explosive weeks, which on their own can almost win it for you. East flex spot of Jonathan Taylor Thomas let him down, and the Eagles game ended up being a wash on the outcome of that matchup since both sides scored a few points under their expected total points for the week. Like I said, it really came down to Mostert. Um, Tom vs. Rex. Now, to be honest, both teams were way underperformed in this battle and made a litany of bad start-sit decisions. But as we always say, it's all about the matchups. Cooper Cup ended up being the true difference maker in this one as he continues his resurgence and could be late-season gold. Tom's Minnesota combo of Hawkinson and Addison both underperformed slightly, but the disappearing act of Devontae Adams, Mixon, and Eckler crushed Tom's chances to have any shot at winning this week. Now for all the games to recap, I played Tits, lost 83.3 to 104.98. Nikki Coe beat Mike 98.44 to 98.28. Very close. We will talk about that in a second. Um, Tom lost to Rex 87.6 to 109.32. Jay lost to Jimmy 88.64 to 124.84. Kyle beat John 117.34 to 80.76. And E versus Dave, Dave beat E, 107 to 83.42. So that gets us into the awards for the week. The biggest upset, Jimmy versus Jay. Going into the week, Jimbo Baggins was sitting at 1-4, battling the 5-0 Jay, little hopes, little or penis, crippling thoughts of future parenthood, and just like that, here he goes with a new outlook on life. Jimmy relied heavily on his two big-name running backs in Etienne and Henry to crush the throat of Jay's team, relying on two running backs of Tajay Spears, Derrick Henry's backup, and Jaleel McLaughlin, the backup of running back in Denver. Not exactly a strategy I would go with from Jay's perspective. Hey, someone wake that man up from his siesta. It's football season. Now to get to the biggest winner of the week, Nikki Tits. Come on down. Now, obviously, he caught my team in a Valori's bathroom with shit running down their legs, so we never really had a chance but the win is still important for him because it knocked me down to a 3-3 three and three record and put himself up to a 4-2 and two record, holding the third spot tiebreaker with the most points for. Biggest loser on the week, Mike has got to take the spot. Fighting for his place in the top 10 of 12-team league, which is a pitiful statement as is, all he had to do was not lose any points as he held on to a very slim lead over Nikki Coe's squad. With the game in hand over the Chargers, Dak Prescott came out and took his victory knees. 
And as much as it pained Nicky Coe to see the boys pull off another dub in prime time, he couldn't help but bust a juicy load over his shin-high dinner table as the negative yards gave him the fantasy victory. Now, Russell Wilson's lame-ass output and Deck Proscott's kneel-downs are probably the two biggest contributors to this week's trade between myself and Mike. Scorned lovers. So to recap the Thursday night game, Jaguars played the New Saints in New Orleans, but once again, most of us had our eyes glued to the Phillies, this time taking their first of two L's in Arizona. But we are coming back to the bank with two chances to get to the World Series, and so it was all worth it. So Derek Carr has continued to do the impossible and make fans scream for Jameis at the top of their lungs. Carr isn't even playing that bad per se. He just isn't playing good or entertaining. Checkdowns and throwaways. I'd say you get to a stat line of 33 for 55 for only 300 yards. Even with his intense outburst on the field and sidelines, he still gets little to no motion out of the team around him. For that, they turn to a guy named Taysom Hill. God, that guy's fucking hot. He could take a crap, wrap it in tinfoil, put a couple of fish hooks on it, and sell it to Queen Elizabeth's earrings. At this point, most fans would probably prefer putting him at full-time quarterback over car, and that is saying a lot since the last time they did that experience. It did not go well. Due to game plan and execution, the Jags were able to keep Trevor Lawrence upright, healthy, and dominant in the win. It was the first time this year a team didn't get a single quarterback hit. That's crazy. Zero pressure, great blocking, crisp route running combinations. Dougie P is back in his gag, back in his bag again, as he was able to pull off a punter pass for a clutch first down as well. The entire team played very well, and for the first three quarters, only gave up one field goal each quarter. As I said before the game, this team needs to find ways to close out games and not let opponents back in. They should get there, especially as the O-line starts to get healthy and gel. Now we're going to re- start talking about the games this week coming up. The, big, the only one I really want to talk about in the actual NFL is the Eagles versus Dolphins. There's just so much fantasy output in that game. Obviously, this group has a huge amount invested in that game. Evans going to the fucking game. Couldn't bring me because he's a piece of shit. But, you know, that's whatever. Um, this game should be a fucking blast. Currently, Vegas has the game at 52.5 over under Philly, favored by three at home. So projected score, if you, you know, give some, take some, is 28-25 to 25 in favor of the Birds. Now, that sounds high, but I feel like this game has the potential to cruise right past that. For Miami, you have the constant offensive threats in Tua, Tyreek, Waddle through the air, and most are on the ground. Currently averaging about 37 points per game, and much of that's coming through the air. There's no reason they shouldn't continue to score that way against an Eagles D that is currently fifth worst against quarterbacks and fifth worst against wide receivers. Now, the only place the Eagles currently hold a serious edge is on the D line. Mostert is going to be heavily involved because he's a major piece of the scheme, but I would be surprised, or I'm sorry, I would not be surprised if he takes a major step back this week in fantasy output. Not only are the Eagles strong against the run, but with their huge hosses up the middle, but the Dolphins also have shifted around their interior offensive line due to injuries. Those O-line issues could bleed into the pass rush as well, but I expect McDaniels to be able to counter that with play calling and hurry up along the way. So to summarize for the Miami Dolphins, two and Tyreek are absolute smash starts. Waddle is a huge piece and should be contributing across the field as well. Um, and don't be surprised if one of the three, four, five receivers, you know, Barrios, Cedric Wilson, Get a touchdown due to double teams on Waddle and Tyreek, especially once they get closer to, to the end zone. At this point, you kind of have to start Moser, but he looks to be in line for a much more average day, I don't know, 10 to 15 points. Um, 
The Eagles took a big L last week to the Jets, so I expect them to come out this week with a lot to prove. I doubt they were pulling a look ahead to this week because that is not really something that happens in the NFL. Media members talk about it, oh, look ahead game or look past you know these opponents, but that's not really how it works out. Every team in the NFL is fucking good. They have to plan that way. They cannot take weeks off. Um, they're getting paid on the other side as well. Plus, the Eagles did have injuries that they are getting healthy from this week. On the other side of the ball, the Dolphins are just about league average against every position except for quarterback, which they are in the bottom quarter of the league, and tight ends that are bottom third of the league. So even though it has appeared Jalen has taken a step or so back, that is truly only an actual football. In fantasy, he has stayed consistently between 21 to 21.9 points per week, with week one at 14.5 being his only true down week. The Dolphins are built for speed rushing with a lead, so if the game continues to be close or the Eagles are playing with a lead, the balance attack could put Jalen at an insane high week, weekly output. Um, if that script were to play out, that also works out well for the likes of A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. I know Julio, good to stretch, will be activated for this game, but the guy hasn't played since week 17 of last year, a season in which he only caught 24 passes for under 300 yards and two touchdowns. And that was when he was sharing the field with Godwin and Evans, both really good receivers. Puts him in a very similar situation that he's in now with Smith and Brown. Um, I don't see him coming in and being a huge contributor, especially for fantasy, but he still has a giant body for red zone targets if they get down there. Because remember, if they are putting Julio in, that means they're taking out either a second tight end or a second running back. Second running back they don't use as much anymore, but the second tight end they use a shit ton, especially in the goal line situations, short yardage plays, because they do like to do the tush push. You know, it's a joke about the, the play these days, but in real life, that does happen all the time. They use that second tight end. So that means he wouldn't be out there. As stated earlier, the balance of the Eagles would be the key to any and all fantasy outputs outside of Jalen. This stands for Swift as well. If the Dolphins get a score or a two-score lead at any time, he could easily be phased out of the game plan. But I expect this to be tight with the Eagles holding a lead in the second half. So Swift is just as dangerous as anyone the Eagles have. So to summarize on that side of the ball, I would start every single player for the Eagles that I have. Jalen, Swift, Brown, Smith. Goddard might be the only guy to pump your brakes on as Miami does have a strong secondary to help the receivings at end. But most likely if you have Goddard, you already blew your load on the draft capital and you really can't afford to take him out. Now, as we move on to highlight these games that we play during the week, the fantasy games, First one's going to be Dave versus Jay. Dave starts the week with a slight edge of projections at 117 to 115. The Philadelphia-Miami game that we highlighted earlier as Dave has Hurts, Swift, and Mostert, while Jay has Tyreek. It's going to be a huge contributor to how this week ends up going between them. Between the two of them, this game accounts for almost 30% of the total points. The one weak spot on Dave's team this week is the flex position as he blew it and didn't play Taysom Hill. Um, the man missile there, and instead is hoping Denver's team has completely quit on their coach and will just let Romeo Dobbs walk into the end zone. Jay is hoping for a similar outcome as he put back up McLaughlin into his starting lineup, hoping the Packers just don't really give a shit and are going to let him walk in. Questionable to say the least, but if the rest of the team performs, it may not even matter. Jay's got guys on his team like Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and this season's Cooper Cup, Puka Nakua who can all win weeks on their own with an explosion. In our second matchup this week, Battle of Little Nickies, Nicky Coe versus Nicky Kitts. I was going to say Nicky Coe might be one of the biggest homers in this league, 
always overvaluing Eagles over other players, but Nicky Tits is pulling one out of his ass here as he is starting Justin Herbert versus the Chiefs instead of Tua versus the Eagles. Herbert is a very, very good fantasy quarterback. Ton of upside, but the Chiefs are top 10 against the quarterbacks, and they have bolstered their entire defensive unit as the year has gone on, adding the likes of Chris Jones, you know, a few weeks in, and everybody getting a little more comfortable. Two, on the other hand, is playing a banged-up secondary for the Eagles that has given up respectable weeks to Mac Jones, Kirk Cousins, and Sam Howell. I think two is two, at least two to three times better than any of those fucking guys. So obviously he should put up even more respectable weeks, but Nick's going to do what he's going to do. Nicky Coe is pulling the ultimate Hail Mary here as he'll be relying on Kirk Cousins on Monday Night Football to bring home a primetime game showing to lead his team to victory or defeat. Before the weekend started, Nicky Coe had an expected 15-point lead in the projections, but if Kirk were completely to shit the bed on Monday night, it could make things very interesting as these four and, team, four and two teams go at it. To counter Kirk's eventual demise, Nicky Coe does have Ayuk on Monday as well and with the recent news of Debo potentially missing multiple weeks, could be a huge bolster for his squad. Thank you guys for listening. I know this is coming out late again. If you want the information about that, I will explain that to you. But I know you don't want to fucking hear about it. So enjoy the pod. Talk to you soon. Love you. Good luck.